You know, for me, one of the strangest parts about having a podcast or doing a podcast is the concept of introducing a podcast. Um, I mean, theoretically, nothing should be easier than just saying, hello, this is podcast. My name is blah. But for some reason, that sounds and feels incredibly fake to me, and I hate doing it. And I don't know why. It's simple. It works. But when I confront the possibility of doing it in my mind, some part of me says, no, come up with something more clever than that. That sounds ridiculous and terrible. Don't do that. So I stare at my garage band and then I just hit the record button and that's how I introduce my podcast, or at least that's how I have introduced this episode of the Content Blues Podcast. I'm Andrew. Hello. One of the trends that I've been observing in my life as a creative sort, as a consumer, really, of, uh, of media, is how much stuff I'm no longer interested in and am no longer a fan of. And I suppose on some level, this is just a function of getting older, because I think as you get older, you start getting harder and harder and harder to please. Uh, just because you've experienced so much and, uh, you know, your mind starts processing things in different ways than when everything was new to you. Uh, you get to a point where nothing is new to you anymore. And so lacking novelty, you become more of a critic than a fan. And uh, that, that's definitely a, a dynamic that I have observed in myself. But the other thing, and uh, I think this is a uh, um, culture-wide phenomenon, is the extent to which things are made differently now than they were in the past. Uh, movies are made differently than they were in the past. TV shows are made differently than they were in the past. Uh not just, you know, generational shifts in perspective, which, which always occur, but, uh, no, the technology has changed and the technology changes the way the art is made. Uh, medium is the message, uh, and that sort of thing. But, uh, in any case, I find myself increasingly disinterested with what's on display. And uh, part of that is me, but also part of that is uh, everything has become uh, repetitive. And I think that's another function of going growing older is that you start picking up on patterns of things, patterns that you did not previously notice. And so you start, you start calling out the shots and once you're uh, aware of the shots, you know, it's harder to enjoy things. Um, I went 
with my family, with my wife and kids, to see the Disney film Encanto uh, a few weeks ago. And it wasn't a bad movie. It was fine. I didn't have any serious objections to it. But it did not take my breath away. Um, it didn't surprise me. Uh, there were no surprises. Uh, it was it was a case of you. Uh, what you see is what you get, and what you think is going to happen is what's going to happen. Uh, there are not. There's nothing that you don't see coming. It's it's very much a, a genre. Disney movie. If Disney movies are a genre, this is the most obvious example of the genre. That's uh, the best way to do it. And again, not complaining. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying it really did nothing for me. It was, you know, enjoyable, had some emotions to it. Um, it was fine. But it was also kind of, you know, paint by numbers uh, for whatever that's worth. And so it's harder for me to find things that excite me. And it's much easier to just not get involved if you suspect that something's going to be uninteresting. That's the attitude I'm taking with the new Amazon Prime uh, Lord of the Rings series. Uh, I have no faith in it. Uh, I have no real faith in Amazon as a, as a content producer. They have one or two good things, but they seem to have a habit of taking existing properties and exploiting them, um, much like the Washington Post. So, you know, whereas Peter Jackson was working from to a certain degree as a, a labor of love, as an appreciator of, the, uh, of Tolkien's work, I, I, I have serious doubts as to whether anyone in charge of the new production... Um, is going to approach it with that level of, uh, of care and desire. They're basically uh, making up stories in the backstory of Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I have, uh, I have serious doubts as to how, how well they're, how faithfully they're going to adapt bits of the Silmarillion and the Akalabeth to, uh, to make their Lord of the Rings prequel, which uh, based on, based on the title it's it's a Lord of the Rings prequel, so I'm not gonna watch that because I I don't want to put faith in it and be disappointed by it. I'm I haven't I haven't watched the new Boba Fett Star Wars series. I don't care. I I, I barely I watched the Mandalorian like a year after everyone else did. Um, I think my kids got me to watch it. That that might have been what happened. I mean, I'd heard everyone say that it was good, so I wasn't completely unwilling, but I don't hear that vibe about Book of Boba Fett, so I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to bother about uh, Hulu's How I Met Your Father series. I, I, I can't imagine why that was made or, or who thought that there would be an audience for that. Um... <laughs> I uh, I said on Twitter that the only reason to watch is to find out how they're going to kill off the father, um, which is which is not a, a line that I can actually take credit for. Uh, people were talking about that when this series was first getting bandied about in the news right after they finished *How I Met Your Mother*, 
And um, what else are they exploiting? Oh, right, the new the new Game of Thrones series that's coming out on HBO Max. No way. No way, no how. That, that, that still stinks. That still uh, sticks in the throat going down the way Game of Thrones ended. We still don't have uh, new books. We're, it's 2021. We're 10 years on, and that, that guy is still not given a new book. It's absolutely... If you told me 10 years ago that we'd get to 2021 and uh, um, you told me that there would have been a worldwide pandemic, Donald Trump would be elected president, and George R.R. R. Martin still wouldn't have uh, delivered a new Song of Ice and Fire book. It's the third thing I wouldn't have believed. It's the third thing I wouldn't have believed. But here we are, so I'm not bothering. I'm not bothering. Uh, there, there have to be other things to watch. In this day and age, there's no excuse not to find something else to uh, fill your TV time. In your, your, you're spoiled with riches in the in the world of television. So there's there's no reason to watch retreaded garbage, and I'm not going to. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm not really even interested in rewatching things that I previously rewatched a lot of, which is really getting me to, uh, the thing that I actually wanted to talk about, which is uh, a TV show that I liked a lot and have watched a lot and have rewatched a lot and did like, started my seventh or eighth rewatching and decided I didn't want to finish. And that might mean that I'm done and that I don't want to bother with it anymore. I think whatever I wanted out of it, I got and I'm no longer interested because I do that with, with properties sometimes. I watch it a lot over and over and over again because it's hitting some need with me. Uh, when I was a young man, I did this with like the big chill for some reason and Reservoir Dogs, watched Reservoir Dogs so many times, and Train Spotting, um, one or two other things, and uh, you, you watch it, and you watch it, and you watch it, and you watch it, and then you're done watching it. And I think I've, I think I've hit that with uh, one of my favorite old shows, one of the, the few shows from that era that I think has... Uh, retained any of its charm and uh it's kind of a niche show but i liked it a lot um and it's community which was a uh a sitcom that ran from like 2009 until 2015 about then yeah it was about it was six seasons and uh i was doing like my seventh or eighth rewatch of it and i got into the final season and i kind of don't want to watch anymore i i think i was i was kind of done i've been skipping more episodes which goes back to my theme of you get harder to satisfy and harder to impress and you know if you've watched a tv show in its entirety seven or eight times um yeah you you sucked the life out of it and it's not really the show's fault but uh i think i'm done I think I'm done, which is a shame in one way because 
I, I really liked that. I mean, those that and Breaking Bad are the only kind of shows from that era that I think really uh, have have withstood the test of time. Because I never watched The Sopranos because I don't care. It's the mafia. They do mafia stuff. How many mafia movies do you need to watch? You know what I mean? It's like you watch The Godfather, you watch Goodfellas, maybe like what else do you need to see they that pretty much covers it although i did watch casino a lot that was one that was a movie i've rewatched a lot and i'm not sure why um i haven't watched it in a while actually but it's um it's not a bad movie i don't know if it's as good as goodfellas but i i watched a lot of it for some reason it hit me somewhere not sure why but that's that's an art. That's a question for another time. How many mafia movies do you need to see? How many Holocaust movies do you need to see before it gets old? And it's not really saying anything new to you. And you're not getting anything out of it but some kind of tropey genre satisfaction. You know, the same stuff repackaged in a new way. Which is, of course, what sitcoms are entirely about. And uh, for me, I've tended to regard Community as the last sitcom. Obviously not really the last sitcom, but uh, for me, it was kind of the last sitcom. Because after it, I could never really appreciate a sitcom or get into a sitcom on the same way. Because it kind of laid bare what the format was doing and uh it really kind of like overtly expressed things that i had already come to understand and uh i watched a lot of mediocre sitcoms as a child so i understood well what community was kind of in its own quiet way sending up um but it was uh it was a great show for being self-aware and meta. It was certainly that. And also having, you know, actual real, not, not realism because it's a sitcom, but, you know, actual characters that you actually could enjoy and actually care about. Like it was a self-aware sitcom, but it was also a functional sitcom that did all the fun things that sitcoms did. And it was funny. Uh, and they did it without a laugh track which is always the mark of something that's truly funny. If it doesn't need the laugh track to tell you when to laugh, that's, uh, that's good writing. Uh, that's good stuff. And uh, another thing that uh, I've become aware of in my many rewatches of the show uh, is that it's about something very real. Um, if you've never watched it, it's basically a show about a bunch of ne'er-do-wells that find themselves at a community college in Colorado. And they're all, to a various degrees, losers. Because why else would they be at a community college, right? Uh, it's kind of the joke. And um, it's not a very good community college. It's, in fact, deeply pathetic. And the, the running theme is that it's a, it's a community college for people who are have basically screwed their lives up in impossible ways. The, uh, our main character, our male lead, is a guy 
who was a lawyer until <laughs> it was discovered that he didn't actually go to law school or have any kind of law degree or didn't, he didn't even go to college, didn't even get a bachelor's degree. He basically uh, lied his way into a law career, uh, which worked really well until he was discovered. And now he has to kind of like um, get a degree so he can be a lawyer. That's kind of the, the main idea. And uh, through his own... Um, uh, mild sociopathy. He, uh, he, he fakes the creation of a Spanish study group in order to, uh, basically in order to, uh, hook up with a classmate. And instead of that working out, he creates this study group that becomes a surrogate family for everyone because they're all losers like him. And, you know, they have amusing shenanigans and antics. And uh, it's it's very, very, very fun. Um, it's uh, just at the peak of the moment where pop cultural awareness was still amusing in its own right before it became obligatory. It was quippy and meta when that was still fresh. Uh, it's no longer fresh. It's become obligatory and, and really tired, uh, which could be another reason why I don't in, haven't enjoyed it as much on this new rewatch that I, I've not finished and probably are not going to. But what I was getting to is that it's about kind of the social and cultural upheaval of the early 20th century. It's fundamentally a show about the American dream collapsing in on itself. It's about uh, high-functioning students who are drugged out on Adderall. That's one of the characters. It's about, uh, you know, the dream of being a successful athlete collapsing due to anxiety and self-induced pressure. That's another of the characters. It's about... Uh, failed marriages. It's about failed activism. It's about failed law degrees. It's about the whole white-collar American dream collapsing inwardly. And that gives it a certain degree of genuine pathos. Um, you know, and, and one of the characters is uh, neurodiverse, uh, neuroatypical, uh, I think one of the early episodes, maybe the first episode, uh, they somebody says he has Aspergers, and that uh, that never gets brought up again. But he's um, you would you would definitely say that or consider Abed to be somewhere on the spectrum. And uh, he's kind of the most meta of the meta characters because he's only self aware. He he only relates to other people through a steady diet of television. So he relates everything to television. So the show rapidly becomes a a repetitive and a opening up of TV tropes like bottle episodes and homages and all these things. So it kind of, uh, it, it is the last sitcom because it is the, uh, is the deconstruction of the sitcom while still actually functioning as one, which is, which is what I always liked about it. It has genuine heart. The characters are not satirical. They're, they're very real. And that's what uh, that's what makes it work. Also, some really uh, very witty writing. It's a very clever show, and a lot of the characters are very clever. Uh, like I said, quippy and self-aware when that was still not you know what everyone was doing.
It was it was doing new things at the time. Um, and I think that one of the reasons I kept going back to it was it ended well. Uh, which is not to say the last season was good. The last season was my least favorite, but we don't need to get into that. That's extremely nerdy. But the last episode, the finale episode, was good, which not a lot of shows are able to do, um, especially sitcoms. Sitcoms uh, kind of just end. Uh, that's what Seinfeld did. It just ended. And that made everybody mad at the time, as I recall, that it just ended and didn't, like, really sum anything up. But because how, how do you sum up a show about nothing? Um, Friends kind of ended the way it had to. Uh, but sitcoms really just need to end because they're episodic. They're periodic. They don't have a really big arc. Um, and if they try to have a really big arc, that's that's how you can screw it up. Uh, what I most remember in terms of show finales was the last episode of Cheers. And the last episode of Cheers was really just an episode of Cheers. And then it was done. And there was this weird moment of, is that it? And that was it. And that was fine. And Community kind of does that in, in its own particular meta way. It becomes an episode about how there won't be any more episodes. It becomes an episode about how people are leaving and it's impossible to continue on without completely changing the format. And, and it, it really is the most meta episode of all, which is fitting that it should be the last episode. And it, the, the show is basically explaining to its audience, to its very rabid fan base, uh, why it can't go on. Because this is a show that was going to get canceled after its third season. And then was going to get canceled after its fourth season. Then was going to get canceled after its fifth season. And finally did get canceled after the sixth season. Uh, so the last episode is kind of an apology. And a, a thank you to the fans by saying, look, there's no other way we can make this work. What ends up happening is all the characters are sitting around at a bar... Um, pitching new ideas of what would happen going forward. And it's it's very funny, and it kind of, like, sends up the whole format of the show and uh, basically says, we can't do this anymore. It's, it's time for this to be done. And it was done, and it was done properly. For the most part, got a little silly in the uh, penultimate scene. Um... But otherwise, it ended well, and so it kind of left a good taste in my mouth, as opposed to, to other shows that, that did not end well, and so tainted the Enterprise. Community did not do that. They stuck the landing, and uh, I'm fine with that. Uh, I probably won't do a rewatch of it again for a very long time. I might not ever. Um, and I, I'm not expecting there to be a movie the, the meme among community fans was six seasons in a movie, which was a line from the show. And then uh, I think at the very end of the last episode, they did a hashtag and a movie. This was in the earliest days of Twitter, hashtag six seasons in a movie. And uh, 
This is this is in the innocent days of Twitter. And so I don't think there will be a movie. I saw an article recently of, of Dan Harmon, the show's creator, uh, explaining all the structural problems of doing a movie and how to do a movie that would be satisfactory to the fans and also something you didn't have to be a fan to have watched. And I don't think there's any way for that to work. He didn't come out and say there's not going to be a movie. He's come out and said it's going to be really hard to do that. And so I'm not expecting it. And really, that's okay. Because we already have an ending. And when you already have an ending, don't keep coming back and doing more. That is that is something we all need to learn. Uh, which is to let something be over. Which is what the last season of Community did for us. To say, it's just television. It can end. And I think that's great. And I wish more things just ended. And so we could have good memories of them. And maybe go back and rewatch them. And maybe get ideas from them and draw inspiration from them so that we can create new things. Instead of vaguely, pathetically trying to recreate the feeling of the original thing by stretching it out and making more of them past the point of inspiration, where it really just becomes product. Um, there's, there's a lot in the phrase fan service that should give people pause about being fans. Um, if you're being serviced, that means you're a machine. All right, now I'm going to talk about something a little closer to the heart and function of Content Blues, um, which has been a website under different names. It used to just be andrewjpatrick.com. And when it was that, I blogged a lot about politics because politics was how I got into blogging. And I liked the idea of that, of having my own voice on the scene, but it got to be very frustrating because it becomes readily apparent that no matter how many eyeballs fall on your blog, that you're really just as much a spectator of uh, the political realities of our country as you were if you're just watching cable news. Like, in some sense, even a well-read blogger is just a guy yelling at cable news. Um... Maybe not exactly like that, but you, you get the idea. There was a certain level of frustration. And I don't know what I expected to be different, but uh, very soon after the 2016 election, I got tired of all of that and um, said goodbye to all of that and uh, totally changed the name of the website on a whim to Content Blues. I changed the appearance and theme of it a couple of times. I've attached artwork to it, and the most recent change, as you've probably noticed, has been to make it slightly less of a blog and more of a publishing website, which is to say it is a place for me to publish things. And uh, 
Because really, that's what a publisher is. A publisher is someone who makes works available to the general public. And so if you have a blog or a podcast or anything else, you are in some form a publisher or broadcaster, which is really just the same thing, talking about different mediums, making something available to the general public. So that's kind of where I am right now. Uh, kind of because I've got the 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 website and I've got the the WordPress and I have the URL and all, all of those things. So I really should be using it to forward my own um, ideas and my own uh, literary and other ambitions. So that's really what it's for. So it's the going to be the home and hub of uh, Unnamed Journal, which it has already been. Um, you'll find links to all this podcast and the Seshal and Pedantic podcast on the uh, on the new page format, which is looking really nice. I'm, I'm liking the way it looks. I feel really happy with it. Um, so the, the trick at this point is not running the website, because at this point, I, I have a lot of experience. I know how to do that. I know how to do it regularly. The trick is the always trick, which is how to get people to care how to get eyeballs on it, which in a certain degree is going to be mastering the content and another degree is going to be mastering, I guess, search engine optimization or whatever you want to call it. That seems like a term from five or 10 years ago, but you know, all the things from five or 10 years ago are somehow current, even as they are stale. Um, talking about that whole stuck culture phenomenon in art and in music and in fashion, uh, things seem very stuck, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so the challenge for me going forward is going to be getting as many eyeballs to the website as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, that's not an insurmountable task. It's just going to be, uh, you know, maybe focusing on it with a little more intention and less wild experimentation. But uh, wild experimentation is where I have fun. So... You know, it, it might, there there might be an internal conflict within me for, for solving my problem. But uh, I'm a publisher, and I really I have been for a long time, and it's just getting to accept that. And so as a consequence of that, um, I've already written about this uh, on the blog and on uh, Twitter, and also on the Facebook, if you follow my, uh, my Facebook page. Um you'll see the uh, I put new exclusive content on the website, uh, which is to say literary works that are only available on contentblues.com and are not available anywhere else. Uh, two things. One is a brand new poetry collection, and the other is a novelette uh, or, you know, a long short story, which is the tagline for it. Uh, which has been around since 2014 and has been available on Amazon in the past, but is no longer available there. Um, the poetry collection is called Wonderland is Hell. And uh, I got the idea to do it because recently I published some poems on Terror House Mag, which is a website that uh, publishes people's short works and poetry. Um, 
they don't pay anything for it, but that's okay. I accept that. And so those poems that were on Terror House Mag are part of the collection, Wonderland is Hell. Um, it's about 20 or 30 poems that I've, I've written over the course of the past year. I have an ongoing poetry project on Tableau, which is, is set to private where I just kind of randomly write things. And uh, I culled the ones, about half of them, that I decided were worth sharing with other people and uh, turned it into Wonderland is Hell. And the other thing is called um, The Real Gorilla, not The Real Gorilla, The Little Gorilla Platoons, which is uh, a short story, uh, a long short story, or a novelette, if you prefer. And uh, they're both available on Content Blues. They are free to read, but I accept donations if you like them. If you're enjoying what you're reading, you can pop me a donation, a small amount. Um, I would appreciate that a lot. Not because I'm desperately gagging for the money, but just because, you know, it's almost uh, a kind of affirmation. And the one thing that artists and creative types and writers are always in need of is affirmation. They, they need to see someone care. They need to see someone say, hey, I liked this. That, uh, that tells them that they're working something in the right direction. And, and not getting that is the most frustrating thing about creative work. And you don't get that. Um, so anyway, those are available. You can check them out. You don't have to give me any money if you don't want to. Um, if, if you just say, hey, I thought this, you know, one poem was really cool, or I like what you did with that story. That works as well as money, honestly. Honestly, that works as well as money. Although money is nice. I, I will not say no to money. So you can do that if you want to. Uh, in terms of poetry, um... I will say, as it says in the introduction to the work, that uh, you should be able to readily tell that I've been reading a lot of Bukowski, although not exclusively Bukowski. Uh, there's also a little uh, uh, Robert Pinsky and some Joseph Moncure March as well, that evidence that influence is present. And... Um, uh, I also <laughs> I also said that, you know, you might see Christopher Marlowe because I did write a sonnet that didn't rhyme, which is probably the dumbest uh, way to describe Marlowe's work and, and most unfair to him. I have read a little Marlowe. I've read uh, I've read some of Tamburlaine the Great and I like it. I just haven't sat down and finished it. But uh, Marlowe's uh, work has a has a wonderful energy to it. And you can see why he would have been an influence on Shakespeare. And he was a great uh, pioneer of blank verse. They called it Marlowe's Mighty Line. And uh, in that respect, uh, Marlowe and Bukowski were both kind of pioneers in the sense that they were both um, similar kinds of pioneers. They were both pioneers of blank verse. Uh, neither of them really invented it. Um, but... They were both bad boys, and they were both, uh, you know, in their own way, troublemakers. Although uh, Bukowski lived to be a very old age and didn't get famous until he was he was older, whereas Marlowe died young due to uh, 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 shenanigans and conspiracies and uh, stuff that people get all uh, tizzy talking about to this day. Was he a... Uh, was he a secret agent? Did he die because he was a secret agent? A lot of people, uh, a lot of people think he did. 
But they are, um, they are both interesting cats whose work is worth reading. And so, uh, if you, uh, read the poems in Wonderland and Hell and consider me someone who's copying other people, I will not get offended because, uh, I think, uh, I think everyone imitates to a certain degree. Although, uh, I recognize that, uh, that you it's stagnation to remain that way you have to keep you have to keep developing your craft so hopefully now that i'm going to be putting more exclusive content and published work on content blues i can uh wildly experiment in the art that i create and you know maybe not so wildly speculate in how experiment in how i get people to see it so that's kind of the goal going forward. Um, you can interpret this as one gigantic advertisement for the rest of what's going on in Content Blues if you want to. I won't take it amiss because this is the 21st century and we are all publishers now. All right, that's going to do it, I think, for this episode of the Content Blues Podcast. We'll be recording another Shallow and Pedantic podcast coming very soon. And uh, there's going to be another issue of Unnamed Journal coming out later this month. And there's going to be lots more exclusive content coming. So keep your eyes glued to this space for future announcements. You have a good night.